OCO! Hello, my name is Greg Bainey, pastor and founder of Woodlands Gathering. You are listening to the Sacred Wonder Podcast. Sacred Wonder is a ministry of Woodlands Gathering Church, located in Soddy Daisy, Tennessee. Please listen carefully and prayerfully, and thank you for joining us. Hello, you are listening to the Sacred Wonder Podcast, and I am your host, Greg Bainey. If you are listening and identify as a Native American and have a question or issue that you would like for us to explore, send me an email at sacredwonderpodcast at gmail.com. Last week, we saw how the church went astray by confusing Christianity and the role of the church with that of empire. We may think that this pertains to something that happened in history, in the past, with no lingering ramifications for today. But for North American Native peoples, this is not the case. The impact of faith and empire persists, and is arguably one of the greatest barriers to Native people following Christ in the 21st century. This is not to say that all Christians have equally participated in advancing this notion of empire when seeking to familiarize Native people with the gospel message. There are those who were the exception, and they should be remembered as such throughout history. However, the sooner the church in the U.S. embraces the fact that more often than not, the American Christian understanding of empire has driven the interactions between Native people and the church, the sooner we can repent and allow the voices of the indigenous peoples of this continent to speak into our space and time. In what ways were the false notion of Christian empire lived out in the Western Hemisphere? What convinced the early Christian settlers that they had a right to conquer and forcibly convert the inhabitants of North and South America? In today's episode, we are going to familiarize ourselves with something known as the Doctrine of Discovery and identify why Christians today should care. We will also discuss how this doctrine, far from being an antiquated legal argument of the past, continues to be used to exploit and destroy Native peoples and culture. In the 15th century, the leader of the Catholic Church, Pope Alexander VI, compiled a document known as the Interquetera, the division of the undiscovered world between Spain and Portugal. In this document, he praised the efforts made by Christopher Columbus to, quote, make diligent quest for these remote and unknown mainlands and islands through the sea where no one had sailed, and discovered certain very remote islands that had not been discovered by others, wherein dwell very many peoples living in peace. End of quote. This document was written in 1493, and the discovery here mentioned is the voyage of Columbus to the Bahamas. Note two things. One, the dehumanization of the original inhabitants of the land. The document mentions that the islands had never been discovered by others, yet was being inhabited by very many people. Two, these people are described as living in peace, meaning they were not hostile to Columbus and his men. The document is written for the express purpose of affirming and encouraging the king and queen of Spain and Portugal to, I quote, care for the health of souls and to overthrow and bring to faith barbarous nations, end of quote. 
So with these words, the corrupt relationship between the church and empire reached a new level of heresy. Not only were European kings to spread and defend the Christian faith, they were now authorized by the highest-ranking official of the church to conquer and forcibly require the inhabitants of these new worlds to accept the Christian religion. Within a century, the missionizing force of the explorers was soon replaced, or rather accompanied by, a more sinister desire due to the rumored discovery of gold. In short, the doctrine of discovery claims that the right to own land comes from God through the church. The leader of the church, the Pope, had the right to bestow ownership of land to anyone he chose. Since the inhabitants of the New World were neither European nor Christian, their lands and all that they entailed were subject to the whim of the European monarchs with the blessing of the European church. This ideology robbed the indigenous peoples of the Americas of any claim to their ancestral homelands and elevated the rights of European Christians above all others. By the 17th century, the doctrine of discovery became the theological narrative providing justification for the colonization of the North American seaboard. The version of history that is often told in schools is that the early pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock seeking refuge. They embarked on a wilderness that had been emptied of its inhabitants by the providential hand of God. Room was made for them on the shores of the New World, a place for them to practice their religion freely and pursue a more pure version of a Christian state than the one they were fleeing. In reality, there were upwards of 60 million people inhabiting the U.S., prior to 1492, with vast networks of trade and highly advanced civilizations, such as Cahokia, located just outside of present-day St. Louis. It is true that by the 17th century, the number of tribes and villages that had succumbed to European illnesses significantly impact the population of the Americas. But even along the eastern coast, the country was far from depopulated. There were some instances of villages being wiped out by illness prior to the arrival of the pilgrims, but these illnesses originated in Europe against which indigenous peoples of North America had no immunity, so they too were the unintended consequence of the colonizing efforts of European settlers. Other villages had been temporarily vacated so that their inhabitants could travel to their summer or winter homes, and they had done that for centuries before. It took but a short while for the doctrine of discovery to reappear in the narrative of North America in another guise, that of manifest destiny. We will explore this ideology next week. For now, let us see the role the doctrine of discovery has played in the U.S. during the most recent times. In 1823, there was a landmark decision by the U.S. Supreme Court in a case known as Johnson v. McIntosh. In this case, Thomas Johnson, one of the Supreme Court justices, had purchased land from the Piankashaw Indian tribe in the 18th century. A gentleman by the name of William McIntosh obtained a patent to the same land by the U.S. government. When Johnson's descendants tried to eject McIntosh, the case went to court, and the U.S. government concluded that McIntosh's land claim was superior to that of Johnson's descendants because of the Piankashaw tribe not being able to sell the land. It was claimed that they had the right of occupancy, since they were obviously there first, 
but not the right to title. The right to title originated from, you guessed it, the doctrine of discovery. John Marshall, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, offered an explanation for the court's decision, citing that when the U.S. won its independence from Great Britain, they inherited the British right of preemption over native lands. In other words, according to the U.S. Supreme Court, Great Britain obtained its right of sovereignty over the North American lands by virtue of the doctrine of discovery, and the U.S. inherited the same right by virtue of its independence from Great Britain. This Supreme Court decision established the precedent for how the U.S. interacts with native lands and native tribes for more than 200 years. The doctrine of discovery continues to manifest itself in ways both explicit as well as implicit. For instance, to this day, tribes do not have sovereign control of their land. Instead, their lands are held in trust by the U.S. government, and ultimately the U.S. government has the ability to exercise complete sovereignty over these regions. It is the doctrine of discovery that provides the ideological justification for this dehumanizing position. Now, in school, the American educational system refuses to discuss history of the United States or of this continent prior to 1492. If citizens are taught that the U.S. was sparsely occupied when the Anglo settlers came to these shores, and that the land's inhabitants did not know how to care for the land because they were less civilized, then the culpability of continuing generations in the death and exploitation of millions of indigenous people can be more readily discredited. Well, what about today? After all, 1823 was a long time ago. Surely no one today believes the doctrine of discovery to be true, do they? In 2005, the Oneida Nation sued the state of New York over lands that were once included in their original territory. The Oneida Indian Nation originally owned 6 million acres of land in what is now central New York. They entered into three treaties with the U.S. government, ceding approximately 5 million acres of their land with the understanding that no land would be sowed without U.S. congressional consent. Over the past 200 years, the state of New York has continued to sell Oneida land without congressional consent. In 1997, the Oneida Nation purchased back from the open market some of the traditional territory. The city of Sherrill, New York, sought to exact property tax on the land, and the Oneida Nation claimed that because the land fell within the jurisdiction of their traditional tribal lands, they could exert their sovereignty over the land and be exempt from local taxation. The city of Sherrill took the issue to state court, and the Oneida Nation, being a sovereign tribe, took the issue to federal court. The state of New York and the Second Circuit Court of Appeals sided with the Oneida Nation, but in 2015, the city of Sherrill appealed to the Supreme Court. Though the Supreme Court did not overturn the decisions made by the lower courts, the opinion of the court, as expressed by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, was that the purchase of the land did not restore the land to Oneida sovereignty because title to the land had passed from the land's original occupants, the Oneida Nation, to the U.S., upon the discovery and forceful acquisition of those lands. In the footnotes to this decision, the doctrine of discovery was actually referenced as justification. 
So what makes this an issue with which the church should be concerned and not merely an unjust legal issue? This issue should be of concern to the church because it originates with the church. It is expressed in Christian language and remains the primary tool for the exploitation of indigenous peoples in the North American continent even today. Though this may not be a known fact among many who profess faith in Christ, it is intimately connected to native people's experience of Christianity in this country. As a barrier to native people believing the truth about Christ, as well as the gross distortion of Christ's teachings, Acknowledgement of the sin accompanied by sincere repentance should be the response of believing Christians towards native peoples. One way that this might be done is through the practice of acknowledging the original inhabitants of the land at the beginning of corporate gatherings. This simple act of acknowledgement can make the invisible visible and communicate the way that Christ has been represented to native peoples in the past is not the true Christ of Scripture. This land and every other land and all of creation belongs to God the Creator. To pretend otherwise is to have an unbiblical and harmful view of the earth and our place in it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I trust you will tune in again and join us next time as we continue to explore barriers to Native people embracing the good news of God. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministry of Woodlands Gathering, please contact me, Greg Baining, at sacredwonderpodcast at gmail.com. That's sacredwonderpodcast at gmail.com.